Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is Monday, July the 21st, 2014, and welcome to The Bright Side with Technisha. Glad you're here. Glad you're hanging on with me. Hope you had a wonderful, blissful weekend. I'm here with top coach today, Cynthia White. We all want to be actors and actresses. We all think our children should be in the spotlight. But what are we doing wrong? What do we need to do right? How to get them on the right track? What you might need to do right to get on the right track? She's here to explain it all. She even, have, she even has a great book out called Your Castable Pipe, How the Industry Perceives You. So let's give our warm welcome to Cynthia White, and if you want to call in, do so at 347-426-3751. The chat box will be open just for you. Cynthia, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you, Technician. I'm thrilled to be here with you. It is. It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm glad that you're here because, like I said, we have so many people out there who who want to do it all. They want to be the actors, don't know how to get into it. You got the wannabes who think they know it all. So we're just here to lay it out on the table for them. But before we do, let's get a little more detail about yourself. Sure. I'm, um, I'm an actor, a director, a writer, a producer, and an acting coach. Um, I've been in the business for over 25 years, and I bring a really unique perspective to my coaching work because I've been on so many different sides of the table. And in many of the projects that uh, I've worked on, especially where I've been a a director or a writer or producer, I've also been a part of the casting process. And when you get to see actors from the other side of the table, the other side of the casting room table, you really start to see what it is that people are doing wrong, what they're doing right. When you are the employer on on a film or a television show or an off-Broadway play, as I've been, um, you also see what actors are doing wrong and doing right um, in order to, you know, to, to either shoot themselves in the foot when they're trying to get their career started or when they do get a job or, you know, if they're really doing things well and there's somebody that you begin to say, this is someone I need to work with and if I'm not working with him or her, I have colleagues that I want to have working with him or her. So it, it's a unique perspective that I bring to the table. Right. And and what brought you to write your book, Your Classical Type, Part of Insurance Procedure? I was asked by um, by a number of, of people in the industry um, for probably going back of over 10 years if I would please put down in book form my personal uh, approach to acting training and talent development, career development for actors. Um, it, it was something that I had been teaching uh, the people that I that I coach. Um, I would be invited to give seminars and workshops, and everybody was clamoring for a book. And I, I really never thought that um, it was something that I wanted to take the time to sit down and do. And I really didn't think anybody would be um, would be that interested in the book. But I was approached by a literary agent who asked me if I would, you know, if I would really get the project going and out there and, and sell it. 
And sure enough, that's what happened. It got picked up by a, a major, one of the major arts publishers, Smith and Krauss, and it's on the bookshelves in Barnes and Noble and Books a Million, and available on Amazon. It's at Drama Books, and uh, I recently found out that um, it's been included in the in the um, uh, permanent uh, performing arts collections at uh, 39 universities and colleges across the country. So there's a you know there's such a demand for information on how to get an acting career launched, how to grow it, how to sustain it. Um, this is not uh, something that uh, just a handful of people want to do. A lot of people want to do it. And, of course, if a lot of people want to do it, it's competitive, it's hard, it's difficult. You need something that will put you in the right direction, both in terms of how to develop your talent, how to act, and then how to create that career in a, in a smart and, um, and sustainable way. Right. Well, of course, if, you take, if you're doing acting, you have to take it seriously. You can't go in there and say, oh, it's just something I want to play around with because you got people who really want to put it out on the line. It's not a joke. And people take it like, oh, I got a pretty face, so I'm this way. I get picked up. And it's not that simple, baby doll. You have some actors who are unattractive, but it's the way they perform. And it's the same way in news reporting. I I felt that same way when I was going to news department. Like, oh, it's just a pretty face. No, it's not. It's about how you can act on that camera for the news director. Can you project your words, enunciate right? So that's it's all. It takes more than just a pretty face. Nobody cares about that anymore. You you can lose that. But in, what what are an actress castable types? Well, your castable types are the roles or the characters that you not only play well, but embody and then relate fully and authentically to the audience or the camera. They're the roles which, from the point of view of casting directors and talent agents or theatrical directors, fit you as an actor because you live the role and energize the material. So your castable types are the roles you portray more effectively than other actors in the commercial and theatrical arena both emotionally and physically. I, I tell people that if you think of your career, your acting career as a small business, which it definitely is, then your castable types are your unique selling proposition. They set you apart from the competition. They give you a recognizable identity as an actor. They build demand for your talent. Essentially, they're your area of expertise in the acting marketplace. Right. Well, and as, we, as I said before, everyone wants to be a star. So how important is it to really get the proper training for this? Oh, it, it is so important. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head when just now when you were talking about how so many people think it's about looks and that it really isn't. It's not that looks aren't important and that they don't matter, but they don't matter in the way that most people think. Uh, most people think, you know, like you said, I, I have to be prettier. I have to look handsome. Well, there's a lot more roles out there than pretty, handsome, or sexy. And for most people who want to get started in the industry, pretty, handsome, and sexy aren't the roles they're going to be going out for. Those are the roles that go more towards stars. Those are our leading man, leading lady types of roles. In commercials, which is a great place for actors to start, what they're really looking for, again, is authenticity. Are you a real person? If you're all hair and, and you know, 
and, and, and curves and tight body and that kind of thing, um, you know, you're not really an authentic person if they're trying to get someone to sell insurance or, you know, buy a, buy a product. So it comes down to what it is that you can actually do on camera or on stage. And if you don't have solid techniques, if you don't understand how to deconstruct a script, even if it's just two-line script for a commercial, you don't understand how to take what you're feeling inside or what you know the character should be feeling inside and then bring that to life in a way, again, that relates to the camera, that the camera or the audience can read and feel and experience, you will get absolutely nowhere. It doesn't matter what you look like. So getting the right training is crucial. And I tell everybody that I work with, acting if you can't approach it like a crash diet. You can't say, I'm going to spend six weeks on this, and then I'm going to go out and I'm, I'm going to get some results. It's, it's much more difficult than that. It takes longer than that. Um, you really have to devote yourself to a longer period of time because some of, these, some of the techniques, some of the realizations that come as you're developing your technique, it, it takes some time to gestate and to gel and, and for not only for you to emotionally and intellectually understand it, but for you to be able to, to actually bring that whole thing together inside of you. So the, the right training is crucial. And I've seen a lot of actors spend a lot of time and a lot of money, what I call creative financial and emotional capital, running around trying to take quick fix courses, trying to, to take a, 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 a one-day workshop, for instance, um, where you know they're going to uh, they're, they're going to learn how to do everything, or they see ads on the internet for things. You know, audition for uh, people see this with kids all the time. Audition for Disney. Well, Disney doesn't just audition people and then decide, oh, we're going to put you in this show and that show. That's not how it works. So that's another side of the training process, which is understanding how the industry works, so that you don't go around doing foolish things and wasting your money in foolish ways. But it, it, it's a long process. It's not a crash diet. It's your career. You've got to get into it for the long haul. Right. And the way you're explaining it, acting is not so easy. I mean, it, you're going to get your frequent rejections and auditions. You're there to compete, and it gets intense for these different roles. I mean, you have to strive for these performances and you're, to me, an actor's job is you've got to express your ideas and you've got to create these images in the theater, the, the theater, the film, the radio, television, any other performing arts media whatsoever. You've got to be on it. And it's just like horseback riding. You've got to be perfect with it. It's, it's all about recognition and you have to be fierce. It's not a game. If you think it is, then you're going to be on the sideline waiting for you to be picked up. Because <laughs> The play, it's a, it's a real world out there, and people, I commend people like Denzel Washington and uh, Farrah Foster, Rick Herstow, um, Philip, Philip Hoffman, all these great actors that we have out here that really put their sweat and tears into it. It's not easy. It's not. It isn't easy. It, no, you're so right, and, and, and you're so right when you say performance. I, I explain with everybody that I work with that you, we have to get your work, and, and this includes your work when you're auditioning, to what I call performance level. You cannot go in and stumble through an audition or kind of do a middle-of-the-road reading. 
Every audition has to be treated like a performance. And, and every time that you get up in front of the camera, you have to be giving a full performance for every take. You can't just be, you know, hedging and, and trying to project just, you know, an attitude through it. Um, it it's, it's like with any art, as you say. A, a dancer can't go out and per, sort of, you know, perform two-thirds of the choreography or kind of go through the choreography while they're staring at their feet to make sure they're putting, uh, you know, every step in the right place. A painter can't go out and show you a half-finished painting at a gallery. Nobody will buy it. No one would want to show it. But some of the actors think that they can go into auditions with half-finished, half-baked work, uh, or that they can go in and never raise their eyes up off of the, the page with a script on it. And, and it won't work that way. You mentioned Sarah Fawcett, you know, who was so big in, in my day. I mean, she was definitely someone who, um, you know, who came up with modeling, and that's something that people forget. And she got a lot of work really on as a model. But that she hit a wall with that, you know, as you well know. And, and she had to go and really learn her acting technique. And once she did, once she stepped back and did that, she started to get some of the roles that, you know, that she's remembered for now, as you say, rest your soul. Um, and, and, and you don't want to, you know, that's, that's not the way most people want to approach their career now because it's a big investment, again, of time, of energy, and of money. Right. Oh, boy, I tell you, we losing so many great actors, too. We just boosted a lot of all Oh, it's just, these are, these are actors, and you, you better be up on your top notch if you if you got to go out there. But how are castable types different from typecasting? Well, um, your castable types are absolutely not a form of typecasting, and that's because they don't pigeonhole you. They don't limit your talent to one physical, vocal, or personality trait, which is what typecasting really is. Instead, by, by developing your castable type, you're developing and defining what's unique about your talent, about what you do. Um, and that gives agents and casting directors a clear idea of where to place you in the casting process or on their client roster. Essentially, you're showing them your possibilities and your potential in a way that makes business sense to them. And that means you have a much better chance of getting representation by a talent agent or a manager who knows what roles to submit you for or by um, connecting with casting offices and having them call you in for what you have the strongest chance to book. And that's especially important if you are an emerging or beginning actor with just a few credits or if you're reentering the industry after taking a break from it for whatever reason, you know, for having a baby or, or because, you know, you just decided you needed to take a few years and do something else for a little while. It was too competitive for you, and now you want to come back. You really need to develop those castable types um, and, and never get confused that they're typecasting. Okay. Now, how do you go about evaluating an active castable type? Well, when I work with someone, and I work with people both here, I'm New York City-based, you know, I work with people one-on-one here in my New York studio. I also work with people via Skype all over the country and all over the world. Um, but the evaluation process for their castable types is always the same. Um, I want to first get a handle on how the industry now views um, this actor. I want to look at their headshots if they have them, um, at their resume credits, I want to get a rundown 
of what the actor has been called in to read for and what jobs he or she's booked in the past. And all of that will start to give you some answers about how the industry sees this actor, what it is that they're presenting right now. And if the actor, um, if, if, if I start to see them differently, if, if they're presenting themselves one way, perhaps just based on appearance, and yet that's not what it is that they really give off, it, it, the energy that they give off, then I know I've got to do some more work in finding out what's really inside of them. So to do that, um, I'll, I'll, you know, to see if the industry is seeing the talent and the uniqueness that's really living inside that actor or if it's hidden away and yet to be discovered, I'll have him or her perform a prepared monologue um, of their own choosing and or I'll give them one and then usually about five or six what we call cold readings, which are, is material that you haven't had a time to prepare in advance, where you just get a few minutes to look it over, you make some decisions, and then you present it just as you would in, in um, auditions. Now, I'll use a mix of um, commercial copies of monologues and scenes from film and television. Most of the material that I, I will give to the actor during the evaluation is what's known as uh, being more and behavioral than action-driven. And that's because I want to see, hear, and feel what the actor can do with the script rather than what the script does for the actor. You know, in initial auditions, most actors rarely get the really dramatic or the action-driven material to read for the same reason. You know, because any first-year acting student can cry like a baby and yell up a storm it actually takes a great deal more expertise to be alive and in the moment and sustain the emotional through line when the character that they're reading for is not in the midst of a tantrum or a breakdown. So once I get a feeling for the actor's castable type, I'll give him or her one or two more readings, um, you know, more material to read um, that I, I then chosen on the spot that's more specifically to challenge the depth and the quality that I find most striking coming out of them. And I'll tell you that no matter the level of experience or the ability to do cold readings or the quality of their monologue performance if they have something prepared, always at least one castable type will emerge, usually two or three. And some of the castable types are very specific and others are more general and in need of development and definition but that's something that we can begin to do. Okay. Because, you know, you mentioned also in your book, I was reading a little bit on your sample chapters, where the guy was asking you about the textbook types and stuff, how the woman, she appeared to look pointy, looked like she could play this high school role, but when she spoke, it did not appear to be that way. Yeah, and that's... That's how I feel. Like, I probably look that part, but when you listen to my voice, I sound, my voice is so deep, like, I, I couldn't get away with the role like that. Yeah, and, and, that's, and then that's the time we have to say, that's not a, a, that's not a handicap for you. That's something that you actually can build some uniqueness on. And, and wow. in that part of the book that you're referring to, um, that particular client, you know, she was trying to go out all the time for, uh, roles that, that would be people in their early 20s, you know, sometimes like a, like a college kid. The problem was she was actually 29, and when she opened her mouth, you know, you, you definitely got the fact that she was 29. And <laughs> Excuse me, if anybody knows, 
a 22-year-old and a 29-year-old are going to be very different in terms of their energy and and what's what's authentic about them. And, and you know, in order for her to book commercials, to book roles, she needed to get authentic. And, And once we did, once it freed her up from that whole feeling of, you know, I've got to look young and, and present young, and she would wear clothes that were, you know, just too young for, for her. She was styling herself in a way that just wasn't, it wasn't really who she was, but it's who she thought the industry wanted her to be. Once she started getting past that and then really working on her acting to develop what was unique about her, um, you know, it, things started to just go boom in her career. She started to book a lot of work, she got representation, because now an agent can go, okay, I know what to do with you. I know where you belong. People sometimes think that agents are like, you know, something out of old Hollywood movies, where they're going to come in and start setting you up with acting lessons and tell you how to style your hair and what to do. No, they're, they're like, here's, you know, you have to be at an audition at 11 a.m. tomorrow, boom, be there. And then when you don't get the role and you don't get the role and you don't get a call back and you don't get the role, they drop you. Um, so it's up to the actor to develop that. Wow. Okay, well, that's straightforward. That's yeah. saying you know within an hour that you're going to have the part or not. Well, okay, so if you don't hear nothing back from then you don't have it at all. So don't keep your yeah. hopes up. But um, let me ask this, too. Cynthia, does it take long after you audition? Do they call you right away, or how long does it take? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, in most cases, you, if, you, if you're working with an agent, um, in most cases, uh, the casting, if the casting office is interested in you, they would, like, say for a callback, you'll hear this fairly quickly. Um, and they'll contact your agent, and your agent will know. If you don't have an agent and you're doing what we call self-submitting, which is usually for non-union roles. So you're self-submitting for, um, say, uh, a, a webisode or um, an, uh, an independent low-budget film that somebody in your part of the country is, is shooting. Um, you know, again, usually it, it's fairly quickly. Um, and, but fairly quickly can, can change. You know, it can be within two days for some places. It can take another, you know, another project two weeks to sort of sit down and go through and make decisions. Um, some of the people that I work with who are really booking at, at the top level, they're booking network television shows, big films, right. the big films that you're paying to go see. Um, so in some cases, the casting process can go on for months. Uh, I was working with someone who was up for a network television show, and he was mm-hmm. brought in for one role initially. It was, uh, this was, uh, let's see, this was about two years ago. He was brought in for one role. Uh, the first time he read for it was in February. He was called back twice um, over the next three or four weeks for additional callbacks. Didn't hear anything. We knew he didn't get it. Um, and then two months later, got a call, his agent was called again, asking him to come in and read for a different role. They really liked him. The casting office really, really liked his work. Um, and they just weren't as happy with the people that they had cast. The only difference, uh, the, only, the only thing that changed, though, was that this show, which was a new television show, was going through some changes in terms of the writing and, and how they wanted to present the show. They were tweaking it and tinkering with it. So instead of the role that he had been reading for, they brought him into a different role. And he actually went through, a, for the next four months, he was brought back seven or eight times for additional readings. 
Um, okay. He didn't, yeah. So in that particular case, the process went on and on and on. And that's not unusual either. So there's no, like, you know, one rule for how long, you know, how long it might take for you to hear something. But in general, I would say if you haven't heard something or your agent hasn't heard something in a week, you know, don't invest any more emotional energy in it. Move on. But that doesn't mean that you won't hear from that project or those casting directors again. I've been called, uh, I was called over a year later by somebody, a big, important Oscar-winning director that I auditioned for for a film, and um, I knew that I had made a great connection with this person. I knew that, that this director really loved my, my audition, but I couldn't use me in that role. Now, I didn't, didn't get a phone call saying, you know, we love everything you do, we just can't use you in this particular film. No, but a year later, um, my phone rings, and it was actually that director calling me personally um, to sort of, you know, skip over dealing with agents saying, I'd really like you in this film. And uh, the sad part is, is that I wasn't available at that time. I was committed to another project, and I couldn't get away, and I've, I've always been sorry about that. But when you make a great impression on a casting office, on a director. They remember that. I always tell actors, you know, auditions are about finding great talent. And if they can't use that talent in the project they're auditioning at that point, then it doesn't mean they don't take your headshot and resume and keep it in that short file that they always have accessible, that you don't register in their mind, and that they won't call you in for something else at another time because the effort, the money, you know, people want. And I have to see actors on that I wanted to cast but just didn't work in the role or they didn't work in that project because of all sorts of considerations. And I passed them on to other casting directors, to other directors, and said, this is the actor you need for that project. Just trust me, just call him or her in. And, and that, you know, that's the way that developing your castable types and presenting performance-level work, presenting what's unique about you and, and going in there with a great technique so your work is something to really notice, it, it, it essentially doubles your results because every audition is not an audition simply for that one job. It's an audition for your talent. Right. You know, with all this acting going on, I was thinking about what's going on currently now between Bobby Christina and Angela Bassett with the fact that she want to play her betray her mother in the biopic, but they don't think that she's ready because she's not an actor. And and I felt that same way. I, I thought, I said, well, you haven't been to acting school. It should take somebody to really betray that part. Not saying that the young ladies probably any better who they picked than you, but at the same time, you want somebody who has acting skills, and I don't think it should have been personal but I, I don't know, Cynthia. I mean, I'm not a director or nothing up there for it. Well, I, I agree with you, and I think sometimes, you know, there's all kinds of websites um, that we all like to read where they, you know, they'll pick up on a, on some kind of film or, or TV show uh, or Broadway play that's being done, and they say, oh, wouldn't this person be perfect in the role? And just because you're, you know, you're a blood relative or you're the daughter, um, it doesn't mean that you can bring that, role to life. And I think you, yeah. you know, in, in that particular case with, you know, with Whitney Houston, someone who we all, all just love and adore her, you know, we, she, she's still so vibrant. 
you wouldn't want to put somebody in there who just doesn't even know their way around a script. Um, it's not honoring the memory of that actor. And there's so many wonderful actors out there. And in terms of bringing somebody's look into line, when you're when you're doealing with something where you're you know you're you're playing the role of um, uh, you know of a, of a biopic where it's you know somebody who's living. Um, that's one of those times when, yes, you, you're not going to cast someone who's six feet tall to play somebody who's only five, you know, five foot four. Um, that's going to be awkward. But there's so many things that can be done to sort of bring people in line with the look. And and sometimes, it, you know, even if their look is not exactly spot on, that doesn't really matter if they start to embody the role. We get caught up in the movie. We get caught up in the play. Right. And it shouldn't, and it shouldn't have to be a battle about that. I think that they're not saying that you can't play her mother's part, but at the same time, we need someone who's professional who's gonna put it out there on the line. We know that you know your mother, and that's the good thing about it. But we need someone who's gonna be able to portray Whitney Houston, which, I, in my opinion, I I think they should have came a little harder with the cast members. Um, even getting close to somebody like Whitney, Whitney was. I know that she had her struggles of ups and downs, but she was still a great woman, no matter what we all go through. And we can't just sit there and make it look like we don't have struggles in our closet. But she was still a great singer, with all due respect. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's that's sort of the essence of acting, you know. It's it's when we, we when we portray characters, it, we don't want to portray them as one dimensional. No writer wants to write a one dimensional character. We we love we we love characters. We fall in love with certain characters because we usually because we understand their foibles and their struggles. We relate with them first. On oh yeah, I I felt that pain. I felt that struggle. Um, you know, look at look at uh, the recently ended Breaking Bad. Um, you know, the role of Walter White. He he's a, he's you know a narcissistic personality disordered character bordering on a sociopath, and yet. You know, people people rooted for him until the bitter end. Um, you know, and there's many many roles like that. Whitney Houston had a you know she she had a, a life where she had a lot of struggles. But we we you know we understand that you could be you know on top of the world, seemingly perfect, with a magnificent voice and and a most beautiful face and body and just looking like the supreme talent who's who's lauded by the industry and still have a deep well of emptiness and pain inside that's going to make you, you know, turn to all kinds of ways to, to get, you know, to staunch that pain. And, and everybody understands that. And that's probably, the, you know, the essence of, of, of what you want to bring out in that kind of a part, the highs and the lows. And you need to be a trained actor. You need to be someone who's, who understands how to do that in order to, you know, to play that role with, with really with with honor, right? Well, we'll this should be interesting. We'll be waiting for it to come out in 2015, <laughs> and hopefully, yeah. it'll be a better drama than a better drama than when we were watching Waiting to Exhale with both of the ladies in it. Um, yes. So, Phil, what is the castable type monologue, and why is it so important? Oh, well, you know, the key to really developing and using your castable type is through extensive and very in-depth monologue work. And, um, you know, that work can be applied in audition situations 
and cold reading situations and performances and on camera, you know, work, including um, including your headshot shoot. Really, um, your, the castable type monologue is the key tool in the process of developing your castable type and um, and bringing them to a performance level. You know, monologues themselves. Uh, a lot of actors don't want to take the time to learn them, especially if they're coming to uh, to, to acting training for the first time a little later than than other people. They feel like they just need to know how to you know how to deal with a cold reading. But the way to deal with a cold reading is to apply a monologue to it, and that's why they're so important. You know, when when a monologue performs successfully, an actor is fully immersed in the life of the character. You know, they they hold a connection with the audience that transcends the words. Mastery of monologues, in my opinion, is mastery of the craft of acting. It's a measure of talent and technique to perform a monologue well, whether it's on stage or on camera. Um, you know, you may be able to bounce along believably through a passage of dialogue with the uh, the energy of the other actor in that scene to keep you in the moment, but there's a great deal more required to creating and performing a role of greater substance and impact than simply being in the moment you know, whether it's comedic or dramatic or somewhere in between. And the ability to do that is the difference between an actor who will book featured and starring roles and an actor who never does better than, you know, little walk-on roles, which are called under fives, or background work. And it's one of the big reasons why agents and managers will ask to see monologues when they meet with you to decide whether or not they want to work with you. Um, you know, that one-minute monologue performance in their audition room, it speaks volumes about your readiness to work professionally and what resources an agent or manager should invest in your career. So those monologues are the basis of everything, and, and you can rely on them in so many different situations. It's, it's the key in my training um, with actors to develop their castable types and to develop their, their talent and technique. Well, it's time for us to take a commercial break, but we're going to come back with Cynthia talking about more castable types, talking a little bit more about her book and where you could get it from. So stay tuned and do not touch that dial. There's only one station that will keep you happy. Blog Talk Radio. We're taking more of your calls at 347-426-3751. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this commercial break. A single ember that escapes from a wildfire can travel over a mile, carrying a world of trouble. It can land, ignite, and destroy your home and community. You can't control where that ember will land, only what happens before it does. With simple things like clearing areas around buildings, knowing community safe zones, and being prepared for wildfires, you could keep this from turning into this. Your home is better protected from wildfire when your whole community is prepared. Visit fireadapted.org for more tips on how to get started adapting your home and community to wildfires. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. All right. We're back on the air with Cynthia White. We discussed about topic 
if he has a book out, your cast this night to deceive you or really get yourself out there and let's not take him for a joke at all, acting is very seriously. Now, what are some of the most common mistakes you've probably seen in auditions and performances? Oh, there are a lot, and, and actors make the same mistakes over and over again. Probably the biggest mistake is walking in and not being able uh, or being prepared to do performance-level work and trying to do something that's non-offensive and middle-of-the-road, just trying not to make mistakes. Not making mistakes is not what anyone is looking for. They'd rather that you were um, fully present and giving a complete performance and maybe didn't get the words exactly right, um, you know, or, or were a little bit bigger than what they wanted because we can always get you to turn it down a little bit, but we can't get you to turn it up. What we see in that audition room is, you know, is what we know is going to be sort of the, the baseline of any performance. So, so seeing people come in and, and not performing, uh, seeing people being too driven by the script, being locked in on that script, being overly focused on delivering the words instead of delivering the life of the character and the emotions of the character. Um, some technical things that people do wrong, again, is, is if you're on, in an on-camera audition and it's a cold reading so that you've got the script, um, you know, spending the entire audition looking down at the words instead of looking at the camera. When I'm, I'm working with actors and I'm teaching them some techniques to be able to get scripts into their head very, very quickly, um, you know, I'll tell them, if you're looking at the script, you should not be speaking. You should only be speaking, uh, saying the words when your head is up and you are looking into that camera or you are looking at the reader at the audition. Um, people do, do things that they think are the right thing to do, but they're not appropriate for the industry. It's not, it's not considered acceptable in our industry. A simple thing is if you're at, a, at an audition, is walking in and thinking that you're going to shake the hand of the person who's there auditioning you. Um, we don't shake hands in our industry at auditions. Um, and the, the simple reason is because if you're auditioning 50 people or 500 people in a day, you don't want to shake 50 or 500 hands. You have, you know, it's a waste of time. It's, it's, the actor's hands get sweaty when we're nervous and, and, you know, waiting to go in an audition. You don't want, you know, all these wet, clammy handshakes. You walk in, you know, you take your mark, and you wait for the, uh, the casting director to tell you, okay, you know, I'm all set for you to go ahead whenever you are ready. Um, another big mistake that actors make is that they don't get all the information they need. They don't ask questions. Every casting director will tell you that they would rather you ask any questions uh, that you may have before you read, before you go on camera, before you audition, then do something incorrectly and, and then afterwards go, oh, I didn't know. If you don't know how to pronounce the name of a product and you're auditioning for the commercial, ask, the name, ask for a pronunciation on the name of the product before you start to read. If you're not sure about, you know, who, who is it that I'm actually talking to? It said, it said Sam, but is Sam my husband or is Sam my boss? just wasn't clear to me. Um, you know, it's better to ask that so that the, the, the script becomes clear to you before you're reading because no one wants to waste the time of presenting uh, an audition reel to say uh, the actual director, the producer, or the advertising agency and, and say, oh, yeah, well, you know, that person was nice looking, but he or she didn't just, they didn't understand the script. 
you know, it, it makes the, the casting director look bad. So those are some of the, you know, sort of the, the basics that, that people get wrong, but they get them wrong over and over and over again. The, the, the biggest problem for, that you see with most actors when they audition is not so much that they're bad. It's that they're just boring and, and they don't understand what it is they're doing. And, you know, when boring and a lack of understanding is the problem, but it's a problem with about 90% of the people that you see in every audition, it tells you that the training that most people are getting and their understanding of the industry and what it is they're supposed to be doing is really off base. Right. And to me, first impressions are everything, especially when you just said that you want to know how to pronounce something. You don't want to – it's okay to make mistakes. No one's perfect, but at the same time, the little simple mistakes that you could have just easily asked about before you even went into the audition. Those are the things that I would want to consider because it's just like a resume. If your resume is not together, then you won't get the job. Yeah, it, it, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'm involved. When my, one of my current projects right now is a play that's uh, it's, it's a historical play. I always tell people it's, it's kind of got a little sort of Game of Thrones edge to it. Um, and uh, we were getting ready, when you're, when you're trying to get a play up at the Broadway level, you go through a series of what's called backers auditions where you're presenting staged readings to groups of potential investors. And it's important, you, you know, you, you need to get good actors uh, to fill in some of those roles that aren't taken by the big-name talent so that the, the whole piece really, you know, pops when you're in these stage readings because there's no costume, there's no blocking, there's no set. You're strictly relying on, on you know, the words of the script. So uh, it, I had to hold auditions, and the, I had a casting director, you know, set everything up, but um, I wanted to be the person at the audition just so I to save a step. And um, I can't tell you, most of the actors came in and mispronounced the names of several very famous people from history. And it, they had the script for uh, two days before they could come into this audition. Usually with plays, you do have a, you do have a day or two with, with the script before you have to audition. And, you know, 80 to 90% of the actors came in and they had the names wrong. And I would ask every single actor before they began auditioning, do you have any questions? And they would always say no. And then they would get all the names wrong. And it was one of those things where it told me that the actors not only didn't know who they were talking about, but in the two days that they had the script, at no point did they even take two minutes to just Google the names and say, who are these characters? You know, who is this person from history? Maybe I'm familiar with the name, but because, because they didn't know who they were talking to in the audition. They didn't know how to pronounce the names. They could have at least gotten the pronunciation by Googling the name on their smartphone and, you know, that kind of thing. And so what it just kept telling me over and over again was that this was a sloppy actor who just really didn't care. And, and that knocked out most of the people at the audition. So, you know, little, little things like that, um, they, they make a difference. And, you know, nobody, nobody cares if you, you know, get, the, get a couple of the lines, you know, twisted around, but they do care if you can't pronounce the names of the people that you're supposed to be talking to or the name of the product, um, you know, that's, that's the focus of the commercial. Right. You know, and I was just thinking, too, Cynthia, about the fact that, you know, publicity is the hardest thing to deal with, I guess, for most actors out there, just have your name in a newspaper or anywhere 
in particular of the media, why is it that so many of them probably do shy away from publicity? You know, it's really hard for most actors to promote themselves and to promote their talent. It, it, when you do that, it, 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 you, you know, you just mentioned resumes. Doing a resume, doing an actor's resume is one of the most emotional and difficult things I find most of the actors that I train have to deal with. And it's because you're coming face-to-face with the truth of your acting career and your acting training. If all you've done in terms of your training is take a couple of, you know, casting director workshops, these kinds of things where you pay a lot of money, you go in, they hand you some scripts, you get up and you read it for them, and they give you two minutes of of criticism on it, and, you know, that's it. Um, And, you you know, you're out four or five hundred bucks. It says to, you know, it says to anybody... You're not really serious. You're not willing to invest the time and the effort needed to develop your own talent. When people look at their at their resumes, they see, you know, geez, I've, I've done a lot of projects that no one ever saw, or you know, they never got reviewed. They weren't even important enough to get reviewed in the local newspaper or by a local website. Um, and, and that's that's a tough thing to say. It's like saying, you know, I, I kind of call it the cycle of crapulence. I mean, it just means you've been doing nothing but crap, and, and, and you continue to do it, and you're coming face-to-face with that. So when you don't have credit or training or anything in your acting, you know, on your acting resume that you feel proud about, that you, that you go, yeah, you know what, maybe that film wasn't a, wasn't a big box office success, but, boy, it, it got some great reviews and audiences that did see it, loved it, you know, and it, you don't have that to fall back on. You don't want to promote yourself. And if you don't know why anyone should should hire you, why anyone should cast you, if you don't understand what are your strengths in terms of being an actor, essentially what your castable types are, you don't know how to promote yourself. Do you promote yourself as being sexy or handsome or being crazy? Uh, you know, but but that may or may not be you. So it's it's one of those tests for actors. It's like a it's like a reality check, you know. If if you're not comfortable promoting yourself and putting your you know putting your work out there in, in a way where it can be discussed and talked about or putting your talent out there, then you need to go back and work on your talent. You need to get serious about what you're auditioning for. Um, you know, if you're stuck in a cycle of crappiness, you need to get serious about your training. If you're not booking jobs, then you need to get serious about the quality of your work because if you are good, if you can really put a performance out there in every audition that you go to, if you understand where a a casting director can put you into a project because you're clear about about the types of roles that you would be right for, about your castable types, you will have results. They may not be, you know, results right away. It may not come as quickly or, as, or you know, in, in great numbers and great, great quantity that you may dream of at the beginning, but it will happen. So, you know, promotion, as you say, you're, you're onto something so smart, Tanisha. It, it, it's like a reality check. It's a gut check for most actors, and most actors shy away because they can't pass that gut check. Now, somewhere in your book, I think I stumbled upon what you were talking about, the complete thought technique. What exactly is that? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the complete thought technique is a six-step, uh, very straightforward technique that will give you what, what's called contextual honesty. It will let you make in, 
inspired creative choices and connect you to the emotional transitions in a script and, and allow you to bring your own nuanced behaviors to the physical life as well as find, you know, almost always the perfect pacing while allowing depth and energy to infuse your performance. Um, it's a six-step technique that I created. You know, the first three steps help you analyze the role very fully and accurately and connect you to the emotional through line. And then the, the second three steps are the practical technical applications that you'll use to bring the role to life through your castable type. Now, a lot of actors, again, as I said earlier, they get very driven by the script. They feel like, I've got these words and I have to say them. But it's, that's not what it's about. What you have to connect to and what you have to relate to the audience or the camera is the emotional through line of what your character is experiencing. And you have to live it. You have to be in that life. So most techniques that people pick up in, in, uh, in traditional acting schools will either focus, overly focus on, on, um, on the script, on, on what they call going moment to moment, which is too superficial, and it won't give you any depth to your performance or allow you to come into the performance. Or they focus on what are really some very dated techniques to explore emotional life, but they never take it all the way through to how to connect it to a script, especially in an audition situation. And, you know, it doesn't mean that these are, that those are, are bad techniques per se. Um, you know, a lot of them are, are, really, are really terrific techniques for uh, a certain area of acting. But taken as a whole, it really won't help you in the way that work is cast today, the way they audition people for work today, or the taste of, of directors or the style of script writing and the style of, of the way, you know, commercials are shot and films and television are put together. Um, you know, you, we, we as actors have to stay in touch with the times and in touch with the style. And doing something that was invented, you know, techniques that were invented 85 or 90 years ago, they're not going right. to serve you that well today. Right. I, I, it seems like I can go along with that and relate to that, even though I've never done acting before, but all of it makes totally good sense. Now, how do actors put their casual types into action in auditions, though? Well, this is where it's so wonderful to see actors, you know, who, who I've been working with, to hear, have them call me. You know, usually, you know, I get like a text message going like, oh, my God, they asked me to stay. You know, like I, they need me to stay I'm doing a callback right away or I'm meeting with the director in, in 20 minutes. You know, they told me to go out and get a cup of coffee and come back. Um, when, you, when you develop your casual types through that library of casual type monologues, when you develop that character, fully in, in, in situations that are theatrical and, and taking it up to a polished performance level. All you have to do is essentially not, instead of, for instance, you, Technicia, auditioning for that Tide detergent commercial. It's now one of your castable type characters auditioning. And you're going to transfer all the history, all the background, all the emotional life of that character and put her into that Tide detergent commercial. Now, there's, you know, there are some additional techniques that I teach people so that they can make the adjustments, uh, you know, to, to perhaps what's, what's involved in that Tide commercial, um, you know, which may only be four or five sentences of, of dialogue, um, and, and how to choose 
which of your castable types are right for that particular commercial. But you know, to give you sort of the, the compact answer, you're essentially transferring a full role um, that you've developed, that you've brought all the way to you know, a 10 performance level and dropping that person into the audition situation and letting them do the audition. And by doing that, you're showing the, the casting people and you're showing the directors you know, this is what a fully-fledged performance from me can look like. Now, when you see someone like that come in, even if they're maybe, you know, it's a little more in, in one direction than in the direction they wanted to go in, they could say, you know what, can you make, can you make her um, a little less frustrated and just a little more exasperated? You know, to, in their mind, that's, that's a difference. Or um, you know, can can you uh, can you just make her a little quieter, or you know that kind of thing? And then that's easy. That's an easy adjustment, and, and you're still giving a full performance, as opposed to all the other people who are sitting out there in that waiting room, ready to go in and audition and do nothing more but but kind of regurgitate lines that they memorized in the waiting room and thinking, oh, I got all the words perfect. But there was no performance. There was no acting. There was no no life to connect to the camera and relate to the audience. So, that, you know, it's, it's wonderful when you can just take those castable types and start using them in all these situations. And a lot of actors will say to me when we start our, our training, they'll say, yeah, but I'm really focused on commercials or on, on auditioning for television. And, you know, I don't get the chance to do monologues at those auditions. Yep, you don't. But you are going to take the work from that monologue and you're going to transfer it to your audition. Right. Now, well, as we discussed about earlier, we did just a little bit of, but you might get disappointed, you might not get in and want to call you. How can an actor overcome disappointments and get out of what? That's, you know, that's a tough one, and we've all gotten there. And I always say to people, you know, there, when we talk about a career plan of action for you, it's, it's sort of like a diet. You've got to stick with the basic nutrition, you know. You have to remember that you must develop your castable types, bring them to your marketing materials, and then continually present yourself through your marketing materials to the industry. If they don't know you're out there, you know, they, they can't ever hire you. And, and you can be very disappointed. I, I can give you an example with myself because – uh, you know, I'm also a busy working actor, and I have to sometimes remember I'll, I'll get off, I'll get a little off track of my own career because I'm so busy with all the people that I'm I'm working with, and I have to go wait. You know, I gotta I gotta reconnect myself to my career. Now, I I live here in New York City, and I was I live actually right next to the World Trade Center, and of course in 2001 I was put out of my home. I was injured. Uh, you know, my whole world turned upside down. Now, I was involved in projects that kept me busy um, through that period all the way through 2003, like the early to middle part of 2003. But then after that, you know, there was a bit of a letdown, a bit of, uh, you know, sort of emotional reality and health issues to deal with. And I found myself, you know, going for about six months where it felt like I wasn't really doing anything. And I was, you know, my the agent that I was working with at the time had decided that, uh, that he didn't want to be in New York City anymore because it was it was just all too much going on here, and I was without an agent, and I had to sort of stop and, and go, okay, what do I do? You know, and I had to say, what would I tell one of my clients to do? I had to go back to my marketing materials and say, 
you know, are my are my photos the right photos? Is my resume accurate and up to date? Is it is it really presenting who I am? In in my case, I decided that um, because I was dealing with some physical issues from from 9/11. Um, that I've always been a busy voiceover actor, that I was going to put my focus back into my into voiceover work for a little while to kind of get myself reconnected and get myself out of this rut, this, this really sort of almost like a depression that I was in from having not working and, and not feeling well and having all those things going on. I remastered my, uh, my, my demo reel that I had all my previous uh, voiceover work on I started mailing it out to a very targeted and very insightful mailing list, not just to agents, not just blindly saying, well, I've got to make, you know, 100 copies of this, of this disc and send it out to 100 places. No, I, I focused on, on um, advertising agencies to get on their house reels again since I wasn't going to be working with an agent right away. Um, I, had to, I had to find a new agent. I focused on contacting agents that, uh, that I did know and, you know, who I, who I knew would be interested in the fact that I was available to, to sign again. And I can tell you that within uh, just a few weeks, I was getting calls from advertising agencies, from networks again. You know, they were like, oh, great, we want to work with you. I actually got a little bit busier than I had been uh, and that I could really handle comfortably. And I also got into doing video game voiceovers, which was something that I really wanted to get into. And, you know, I probably wouldn't have put the time and the energy into it. So, you know, every actor needs to keep in mind that we all have our ups and downs. Even the teacher, even the, even the big acting coach has her ups and downs. You know, we all do. And it, it's a natural part of, of a career cycle. And that when things start to feel like they've gone off track, you want to go back to the basics. You want to go back to steps one through ten and make sure that you're doing all of them accurately. And it's true in your career, and it's true with your acting technique. When you feel like you've gotten off base with your acting, you want to go back and make sure that you're doing the first step, the second step, all the way through. So, you know, it's, when, you, when you have the basics, when you have the foundation right, you can always get yourself out of those ruts. Um, you know, when you don't have the foundation right and you're flying just on, you know, on blind energy, you're going to crash and burn when things don't go your way and things will not ever always go your way. That's why that's life for you. Yes. <laughs> now, how can actors work with you if they don't live in the New York City area? Well, I love to work with people. All, from all over. It, it really is exciting for me. And um, there is work in so many different parts of the country. And there's national casting um, for certain areas of the industry. So I, you know, I urge anybody who's listening who would like to get in touch with me, please contact me. My website is independentactor.com. And if you go to my website, there are ways that you can, you can contact me directly via email. You can sign up. Um, on the Get Connected page of my website, independentactor.com, to be on my mailing list and get first notification about things that are happening. I work with people via Skype um, every single day of the week. Uh, and uh, I often get invited by, uh, by groups to come in and do workshops um, and introduce people to, the, to, the, um, to what passable types are and what the complete thought approach is to acting. Um, so if, if people have groups and they're interested in that, they should, you know, contact me. Um, I am going to be launching uh, a, 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 some training webinar series 
for people who need to work, you know, on at their own pace and maybe even Skype coaching isn't something that they can that they can do or that they are that their budget is going to allow them to do or their time is going to allow them to do. So um, there's a lot of different ways to to connect with me. Um, the first, but always to the website independentactor.com, and I encourage people to poke around, sign up for the mailing list contact you directly, uh, comment on the blog, and um, and I love to connect with you. Well, um, I hope people do get in contact with you because I have a lot of inspiring friends who want to become actors as well. I just sent one of my friends a link to it so she can get on your page on Facebook. Also, please go out, get Cynthia's book, um, Your Castable Type. It's everywhere. It's even in Australia. It's, even in Australia, I mean. And um, also, if you're in college, it's already in the performance arts collection at 33 colleges and university libraries everywhere with Baylor, Hopper College. You probably name it, it's there. It's probably even at your school. Go check it out. But, Cynthia, thank you for being on the show today. I appreciate you for taking your time out with us. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on as a guest. I, I, it's been a pleasure to speak with you, Technicia. It it really has. Thank you so much. You have a blessed one, Cynthia. Yes, and and good luck to all of your listeners. Thank you. Um. Also, before I get off the air, I want people to know and remember James Garner. He passed on. Another great actor, of course. We're losing all of them. Um. But you know, you can hit me up on my Facebook fan page, The Bright Side with Technician. Tell me. Which of the late James Garner's roles were your favorite? You know, leave your comments about your memories of watching Garner at, at work and his roles. Um, but I will see you definitely tomorrow at noon here. So uh, you have a blessed one. Go out, lunch your dreams, go out and get them because tomorrow is not promised to you. So get it today. If you don't get it any other time, do it today. And I will be glad to see you tomorrow. God bless you. Stay prosperous. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless.